welcome to the Wanderlust Journal podcast, based upon great storytelling. We'll be sharing adventures, recommendations, and tips for the aspiring writer. I'm your host, Sarah Leamy. I am a wanderer since I was a teenager hitching across France. I usually travel alone with dogs and in various vehicles. I'm the author of Van Life, Bring a Chainsaw, and numerous others. And I have a master's degree in writing and publishing, so you are in good hands today. If you'd like to hear more, simply subscribe, stick around, and we'll take you around the world. In today's episode, we are talking about what's in a name. This is part one, and I'm going to mostly be focusing on overlanding. Um, I'm coming to you from Baja California Sur, Mexico in 2023. And I started this uh, podcast, this episode, um, out of a Facebook poll. I was curious to see what people, how people self-identified. And the self-labels, how other people talked about each other. Um, some of the names I threw out were Overlander, Traveler, Wanderer, Nomad, Vanlifer, Adventurer, Adventure Biker, Through Hiker, or as my friend Katie says, Camper. And so from that, I decided to put a few polls out on different groups. And today we're going to talk about the one that comes back, came back from the Overlander community by Expedition Overland. And I asked, as you're traveling, do you consider yourself any of the following? I'm recording a podcast on the topic and want to include current ways we talk about what we're doing on the road, how we label ourselves. The top vote got was Overlander, which not surprising since the group was called Overlander Community. Overlander got 33 votes, no, 33% of the votes. Nomad got only 3%. Van Lifer only got 2%. Traveler got 25%. And Adventurer got Keith, got uh, 20%. And it was added by someone called Keith Ray Haney. And I'll be coming to his, sharing his blog in the next episode when we're talking about specific travelers. But today's more of an overlook on names and um, definitions, I guess. So that's where it came from. And I'm going to, I'll talk about some of the actual responses in a little bit. But starting off formally, let's see, Wikipedia describes, uh, Wikipedia, I went to and I put the link down below. And it claims to be, overlanding is self-reliant travel to remote destinations where the journey is the principal goal. Typically, but not exclusively, it is accomplished with a mechanized off-road capable transport from bicycles to trucks, where the principal form of lodging is camping and often landing, often lasting for extended lengths of time from months to years and spanning international boundaries. And that pretty much fits what I would say if someone asked me what overlanding was I would um, say long long distance vehicle dependent travel and that so that would pretty much cover everything I've ever done whether it's from hitchhiking in England Wales and <coughs> across Europe from you know from Germany to Spain to Rome as a teenager and in my early 20s, that was vehicle dependent because I was using other people's vehicles and sleeping rough, um, camping, staying with hosts, meeting people, that kind of thing, to traveling the States on a motorcycle. I did a couple of cross-country tr trips uh, on a CB450 in 1982. I believe it was, CB450. And then I also had a Yamaha, what was it, a GS, 
750 triple. And I went across the country on that quite a few times. Um, so, and then, you know, various, we have the usual uh, four by fours, the trucks, the pickups, the SUVs. And these days, or more and more I see around um, Unimogs and, you know, huge vans, the Sprinter, the four by four, the white boxes, the white rectangles that you see everywhere. And, um, it was interesting, whilst I was looking up various definitions on overlanding, I found this out. And I don't know, I haven't seen this story anywhere but here on Wikipedia, but hey -o. Historically, it says, overlanding is an Australian term to, to denote the droving of livestock over very long distances to open up new country or to take livestock to market from grazing grounds. And the roads that were created by a large degree, Len Beadle, who in the 1940s and 50s constructed many of them, he this, the names are still being used by Australian overlanders and hold, still hold the names. And there's Gun Barrel Highway, the Connie Sue Highway, named after his daughter, and the Anne Beadle Highway, named after his wife. But a lot more, I have to say, does come from uh, colonization, from People, white people like myself, coming into different countries that are not theirs and exploring and claiming. I believe that at least the modern day overlanders are more traveling out of curiosity and respect and uh, from coming from a place of connection, which would actually be another good topic, actually, why uh, the benefits of travel, the reasons of travel, the uh, potential downfalls of travel um, depending on our intention and how we do it but that's that's another day so anyway that was a interesting um interesting little bit of background and i'll put the link below in the notes so you can find out more about the history i came across overlanding i'd have to say in around 2012 or the term the term and the events and the, the business in the States around the word overlanding. And I'm not sure what it's like in Europe or in England these days because I haven't traveled and been back for a long time, actually. So for me, it came out of connecting with a lot of um, Land Rover people in Arizona. I was based in New Mexico and I had a 1959 series Land Rover. And I got to meet and got to know Roseanne and Jonathan Hansen and various people, let's see, uh, Grace and James and Kelly Howard from the Arizona Land Rover Association. And they invited me over from New Mexico for one of their smaller events. And the same month, it was in May, I believe 2012, they were also took me to the Overland Expo, which had originally come from Roseanne and Jonathan Hansen. And let me take you to their website and I'll tell you a little bit about Roseanne and Jonathan. They're both raised and born in Arizona and they're writers, photographers, artists, biologists and explorers. They say, we are curious humans who love nature, the visual art, the written word and all things classic, vehicles, bicycles, motorcycles, tools and crafts. And above all, we love to learn. And out of that loving to learn, they also love to share. And they have many books out, um, such as Southern Arizona Nature Almanac, Basic Essentials, Animal Tracking, uh, Desert Dogs, the, rag the Ragged Mountain Guide to Outdoor sp Sports, and a lot of other things. Um, Jonathan also collaborated with Tom Shepard on a reprint of the amazing guidebook called um, Vehicle Dependent Expedition Guide. And again, I have a 
have a link below that I'll recommend it so you can find that. So Roseanne and Jonathan Hansen created Overland Expo and it was a rally in that started off in Flagstaff, not in Flagstaff, but in uh, Arizona. And I got to see it when it was still relatively small and it wasn't in Flagstaff. And it was focused on training and sharing skills and building community. And that was at the that's when I first came across the term overlanding. To me, it's just traveling, you know, traveling by vehicle or traveling however um, and exploring. But they created this event and it grew so fast and so huge that it was took up too much time and too much energy for them. And they sold it to a an events manager basically a few years ago, 2018, 2019, somewhere around there, I believe. And they... Um, it's now become much more of a uh, business focus and more of a sales focus on the gear and the stuff. And that kind of leads me to Connie and Graham, uh, Connie Roldham and Graham and the 7P team. So the 7P team is someone worth looking out for because they go to a lot of these events. They do, or they used to, do a lot of training at the Overland Expo events, which is now much bigger and there's like four or five across the states well worth going to and I still go to them and sometimes present and sell books and things there but 7p overland is an overland group of incredibly skilled people that I wonder if there's a, a little blurb I could say I was going to read you something of theirs so how they describe themselves. 7P Overland is a technical driving and travel skills training company based in Colorado, and it has worldwide training and adventure offerings. While our location and terrain may vary greatly, our commitment to press practice, environmental responsible and safe off-pavement adventure does not. Our mission is to inspire, educate and equip individuals with practical experience and knowledge to explore the world with curiosity, wonder and respect for all our planet and its diverse cultures. So, yes, I, I love these people. I got to know them through, again, through the Land Rover aspect because I was visiting the events in the old Land Rovers and uh, Forerunners with my dogs and camping. And we became good friends. We've stayed in touch. But since this podcast is about travel stories, I wanted to give you a little glimpse of one of um, Graham's stories that he has on their website, 7p.io. And this is called The Legend of Camp Six, words by Graham Jackson. The lodge owner at Gumbo Limbo saw us coming. How could he miss us? Eight exhausted people covered head to foot with mud in two Land Rover defenders that were now mud brown adorned with jungle vegetation. That we looked like a military convoy had crossed our minds. As we pulled up to the bar at the lodge, two locals made a scampering beeline for their pickup truck and raced down the driveway. Going for the police, perhaps? That's the last thing we needed, and it was well past happy hour. The morning had begun deep in the Chickabull rainforest in southern Belize on the fabled Camp 6 de Road. It was day two of our traverse, and we'd already turned back. By beginning of day two, I'm being very clear. Nick managed to navigate the lead truck out of our campsite and all three metres down the track before the pro-camp tyres lost traction and forward progress halted. Out came the winch line. 
Camp 6 was made famous by the Land Rover expedition, where Bob Burns and a group of ex-Camel Trophy team members took some journalists into the jungle and ploughed through the mud to test the metal of the new LR3 and Range Rover Sport platforms. Before that, it had been a timber company rail line, the tracks now long gone and the grade slowly degrading, even degrading, into the forest. It returned to fame more recently, being named the Four-Wheeler magazine as one of the hundred roads to wheel before you die. But calling it a road is highly generous. It's a vague two-track through the jungle that gets so little traffic it's typically completely overgrown. So overgrown, in fact, that just drive finding the trailhead is a very advanced exercise in land navigation. Our team of eight people and two Defender 110s was the first exploratory expedition since Land Rover had taken those journalists through. The Belize Army had attempted it the previous year on a tractor but gave up after 100 metres. We had very four adventure we had four very adventurous clients with us who all agreed to the uncertainty of a test trip, as well as James and Angela of No Limits and Nick Taylor and myself of Seven P International. We'd arrived at the turn off at around noon and after a visit to the Caracol Mayan ruin site. After verifying that there's actually a road there, we started cutting. Land Rover had the benefit of a local team to clear the road before they arrived. We were given no such luxury. So progress was less than walking pace, as four of our team went ahead with machetes to clear space for the two defenders. Because of the overgrowth, the road wasn't waterlogged and the mud was manageable. A few short winch pulls and we were progressing steadily, if slowly, until we came to a downed tree and progress halted. It took our main machete man, Vince, a good 45 minutes to cut the tree by hand, and with some winching we were able to clear it out of the way. We noted the need for a chainsaw in the next attempt. Progress so far? About a seventh of a mile, and it was already late afternoon. But at least we had come to the top of a raise, and it was downhill as we progressed. As twilight began to fall and the need for a campsite became more obvious, Nick and I took machetes and scouted ahead of the convoy, trying to find a level place with enough space to make camp. Not the easiest thing in such dense, dense forest. As we walked, slicing at low-hanging vines, we assessed our progress so far, marvelling at the work it had taken and lauding our luck that it was not raining. With the slightest additional water, the track would have become a quagmire. And it carries on. I'm going to leave you there just because, but I'll put the link below so you can carry on reading. Another um, couple that I wanted to talk about are Ray and Marianne Highland, and they drove from London to Singapore in a 1954 Land Rover with a family of five, with three teenage boys. And if you know the 1954 Land Rover, it's the short wheelbase. It's incredibly short. It's incredibly small. And so there were the five of them in that with no backup, no one else but themselves. And they hardly, I think they got it for something like $500 and took it to England and worked on it a little bit in England and then just head out. So I'm going to read a little bit of theirs for you just because it's just phenomenal. I got, again, I got to know Ray and Marianne through Overland Expo events, through uh, Arizona Land Rover events and also they put since they came back from this one long trip they came back and they started their own smaller community-based skill training called northwest rallies and i'll put a link below for you for that so here's a little something that they wrote the beginning of in expedition portal which is a great resource for you i recommend you join um listen to their podcast look at their forums and if you're interested in more stories go there but this is the beginning of um, 
an article that Ray wrote for expeditionportal.com. What do you mean the boat is late? How late? A combination of mechanical delays, bad weather and agent apathy meant that our 1954 Land Rover, a Series 1 86-inch station wagon, was going to arrive a month late in the UK. This set the tone for two things that happened over and over on our trip. Every time we put our truck on a boat or in a container, it seemed to get lost or delayed. And surprisingly, Facebook came to our rescue in the form of various Land Rover enthusiasts and groups looking to help us. With the truck delayed, we posted on Facebook asking if anyone in England happened to have a vehicle we could borrow for four weeks. A couple of days later, Pete West, a friend of a friend of a friend, sent me a note. I actually met Pete West this summer um, in Colorado at one of these events. Anyway, Pete West sent Ray a note. He offered his Defender 110 for us for a month at zero cost. This display of generosity made our month in the UK very special as we were able to explore England, Ireland and Scotland in comfort and style. Our goal was to recreate one of the most epic overland trips of all time. In 1955-1956, a young group of students from Cambridge and Oxford set off in two original 86-inch Land Rover station wagons to travel from London to Singapore, the furthest point that one could conceivably drive in the British Empire. No one had driven beyond India in the past, but General George Stilwell had cut a World War II supply track through the impenetrable Burmese jungle a decade earlier. Thus, the hopeful young students had thought that there was a chance that these fancy new 4x4 Land Rovers might be able to traverse the now overgrown track and be the first to reach the distant outpost of the Commonwealth. Their story, captured in the 1957 book First Overland by expedition leader Tim Slesser, has inspired countless expeditions over the decades. In 2005, the surviving members of the original team flew to Singapore for the 50th anniversary of their trip, and we had a chance to meet them since we were living there at the time. And so there's a little bit more background and some photos on here. And I would say that it's, again, I loved following them and I did follow them on social media and they just kept going it was just phenomenal some of the adventures some of the things they got stuck with how people helped them out um yeah so absolute spirit of long distance travel vehicle dependent um yeah and not about the gear but about the the trip and that's something that I remember Graham talking about, Graham Jackson talking about at one of the Overland Expos. He talked about, you know, the difference between a road trip and overlanding. And one of the various thoughts that came out was that the journey was the goal. It was a process. It wasn't a destination focus. And it was more interactive. I tend to think of um, especially American style road trips where, where people get on the interstates and just fly around as fast as they can and sort of um, skim skim across the country was and that's definitely true of many overlanding Facebook people that you can follow as they um, ticking off as many countries as possible as fast as possible uh, my own personal style is a lot slower slow and steady let's say it took me um, six weeks to go from New Mexico to the tip of uh, Baja California Cabo that can take some people four days, but it took me six weeks. Um, I tend to go places and often go find somewhere and stay somewhere for a month to three months to six months and then move on somewhere else. So I like to get very involved in the places I visit. And that was something that um, 
Graham mentioned. He talked about how quite often the motorcycle overlanders, who I've mentioned before in different podcasts, um, the focus is on the trip and not the stuff. Whereas quite a lot of, especially these days with the the business around the phrase overlanding, um, the focus is on the build out and what you can buy. And so people tend to have more stuff and less time. So it's a balance. You know, we all do what we can do as and when. So those are the stories that I wanted to include today, which were Roseanne and Jonathan Hansen, Raymer and Marianne Highland, and Graham and Connie and the 7P team, 7P Overland team. There's a few other rallies that I haven't gone into yet, but they are more van life. So that will be in another podcast, part two of what's in a name. And the events are Escapa Abaja, which is a van life one. Storyteller Nomad, um, they do van build and I believe they're putting on a couple of events in the States coming up and one in Northern Baja, I think it was usually early spring. And then there is the Homes on Wheels Alliance based in Quartzsite with Bob Wells' focus and his community, which are quite often for, no, for people that are, call themselves more nomads as opposed to van life. And again, we'll go into the difference between those. One last thing I would say is the importance of skills building and training and having vehicle sympathy. Because overlanding is a long distance travel, uh, vehicle dependent travel, we're not doing the Jeep 4x4 quick trip out get as gnarly and nasty as possible just for the hell of it and climb up and down and if you break down it's fine because you're within an hour of a nearest city or you've got you've got backup whereas when we're overlanding when we're doing long distance camping trips road trips we're living in our vehicles and so we have a different attitude towards our vehicles and so skills building um, knowing your vehicle knowing how to do basic maintenance or at least um, understand when things sound different and be able to explain what's different so you can, when you find a mechanic um, I do recommend having the not relying on the internet and your phone to have books on the manual for your vehicle but take a print one uh, because as you go out there you'll realize that um, Internet really, unless you have uh, Starlink, internet is not nearly as viable a source for you. So there's skills building. Um, there is, of course, 7P Overland, I Overlanders um, with their Camel Trophy team. There are the various rallies I've mentioned. And quite often, a lot of the states and probably everywhere in the world, I imagine, um, are, there are private companies and individuals offering such workshops and hands-on. Expedition Portal, um, I recommend. The forum has a lot of resources for that. And lastly, the recommended books I wanted to mention that I have a copy of this one by Chris Scott. It's called Overlander's Handbook. And I know most people uh, might have other things beside their bed, but this book, it's thick. It's at least an inch and a half thick. I have a hard copy and I've had it probably 10 years now and I love it and I keep going back to it. And when I'm stuck and I can't travel, it's what I read. <laughs> it's my bedtime reading, so what can I say? And then the other book we mentioned earlier, the Tom Shepard book that Jonathan helped with the reprint is Vehicle Dependent Expedition Guide. And a last little quote for you today is, the purpose of life is to live it, to taste it, to experience to the utmost, to reach out eagerly and without fear for newer and richer experiences. And that is by Eleanor Roosevelt. 
Thank you for listening today. I really appreciate it. I hope you have a great time. If you'd like to find out more about either Wanderlust Journal or myself and my books, you'll find the links in the episode notes below. That's saralimi.com and wanderlust-journal.com. It's all completely free. If you're interested in supporting the Wanderlust Journal and keeping it free for everyone who wants to publish, read or hear these travel stories, there is also a link to the Buy Me A Coffee page below. You can also support by subscribing to this podcast or following me on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. On Instagram, it's at Dirt Roads and Dogs, and otherwise you'll find me under Sarah Leamy. So hyperlinks are below in the notes, and once again, thanks again, take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.